0: You're listening to The Purse Podcast from The Purse School, Cambridge.
1: I'm Emma Rothwell, Assistant Head of Inclusion, Equality and Diversity here at the Purse School. I'm Alice Rothwell, Coordinator of the 42 Lecture Series. Every year at the Perth we mark Holocaust Memorial Day with the annual Joseph Berman Lecture. Joseph Berman was a pupil at the Purse's Jewish Boarding House before the outbreak of World War II. He came back to visit the Perth shortly before his death in 1995 and suggested holding an annual lecture relating to the Holocaust. This year we welcomed Professor Rusi Jaspel who is Pro Vice-Chancellor Research and Knowledge Exchange at the University of Brighton and a Professor of Psychology. Rusi spoke on the subject of prejudice, recognising and reducing it in society and I'm really pleased that Rusi joins me now together with some students, um, Haya, Ennis, Versha and Arisha who have some questions for him. So I'm going to start with you Haya, what's your first question today? In your talk, you mentioned that there are ABCs that sort of form the
0: foundation of prejudice. And I was wondering that when it comes to reducing prejudice, do you target one of those? Do you target all of them? Do you have to change all of them in order to reduce prejudice? That's a really good question. I believe that it's very important for us to focus first and foremost on the thinking part because the C part, cognition, is is really the starting point because that is people need to think and they need to categorise. Uh, you'll recall from the, from the session I was talking about categorization being the starting point, so people need to categorise, and then they start to feel particular things towards members of that category, and then finally they begin to behave in particular ways. So I, I think that the, the key part for us to focus on is the thinking dimension, it's the C. But actually sometimes uh, people can engage in behaviours because those behaviours are discriminatory behaviours because they're so taken for granted within their context or their society without necessarily even thinking about the group in a negative way without necessarily feeling disgust towards that group they may nevertheless behave in a discriminatory way so I don't think all of those things necessarily are present in every act but uh, it tends to be the case that people start off by thinking negatively about a particular group and that's where we, we need to intervene How would you say we can combat the fact that some people simply don't want to change or don't want to change the way that they think? How do we then approach those who are stuck in their mindsets and have no desire to actually change any of those things? I'm not sure I agree that people don't want to change, or at least I think it's more complex than that. I think people uh, resist change because... They continue to think in a particular way about that group, possibly because uh, those ideas, those negative ideas, are so present in the media or they're so present within their context or their culture. So I think, in order for us to, it's not just about changing the mind of one individual, it's about us promoting a culture shift. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. It has become very socially unacceptable. To be um, overtly racist I think it is very very socially unacceptable so um, we've seen people who may actually hold racist views expressing them very subtly um, or not expressing them whatsoever um, uh, publicly because of the uh, because of how um, socially unacceptable it is that's an example where we can really promote a lot of change I think by making something so socially unacceptable by by acknowledging it uh, publicly But but, you know, coming back to your original question about how we uh, change hearts and minds essentially, your question is really about how we change hearts and minds, I think that people um, start to discriminate because they see another group as a threat in one way or another. Um, It's not always the case, but it tends to be the case. Now that threat can be of many different types. Um, I think we need to address people's concerns. So if they see a group as a threat, we need to clarify the facts because often those threat perceptions are based upon mythical ideas, they're not based upon any objective reality. You mentioned in your talk how prejudice has been a topic of discussion for about 100 years or so. Over the last 100 years, which type of discrimination has reduced the most, do you think, in both attitudes and practices? And could we apply this to other types of prejudice in future? To reduce discrimination? That is an excellent question. I think it depends very much on the particular society that we're looking at, the particular country that we're looking at. I don't think we can say that there is a single form of prejudice that's decreased. In the UK however, my view, the evidence seems to suggest that uh, there has been a particular decrease in prejudice towards LGBTQ plus people. And you may ask, well, why that particular group? One of the reasons for this is is the contact hypothesis that I mentioned in my in my session? More and more people are gaining some contact with a person who's not heterosexual. It can be a family member, it can be a friend, it can be a, a, a family member of a family member, and and that is leading to positive change because I think it creates allyship. People no longer see the group as being so different from themselves. They 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 understand, they they gain a better understanding. They get to know the individual more. And that's not necessarily observable with other groups, that level of contact is not necessarily observable. So if you if you co- contrast that with, say, ethnicity, an individual may actually never really have contact with a member of another ethnic group in the same way that they're likely to with, say, a member of, of the LGBTQ plus community. Today, uh, social media allows people of all groups to voice their views. Do you think that social media in this way has Reduce the impact that biased media can have on prejudice and affecting people's attitudes of certain groups? Social media is, uh, it has many, many different functions and it definitely has a lot of positive benefits and it can help us in the fight against prejudice and discrimination by reaching large numbers of people, by providing greater awareness uh, and uh, opportunities for, for contact between people as well. Now I say that as someone who remembers um, the world without social media, and remembers the world even without—not well, the world—I didn't have internet when I was um, when I was when I was a child, and so I'm able to contrast that. And uh, of course, the the level of contact we have, the opportunity we have to make contact with people, in line with the contact hypothesis, has grown enormously. So on that front, it can be very positive, but sadly, we also see the dark side of social media, and we see how how the anonymity that social media can give some people also enables them to express views uh, that are highly discriminatory, prejudiced views that can cause a great deal of of pain and suffering to victims. And of course as we know uh, victimisation and bullying is very closely related to discrimination and some people, uh, particularly young people, can be can find themselves on the receiving end of, of um, racialized bullying or bullying on the basis of another characteristic. And social media can sometimes mean that that bullying uh, doesn't just stop in at school, but it follows them home, because they may be using social media in that context. So from a victim's perspective, it can have a, a, a tremendous impact. So as you can see, social media has enormous benefits, but it's also got some potential dangers. Hi, Professor Jasper. Firstly, I just wanted to thank you for coming here today and sparking such an important discussion. Um, As we're members of our school's Inclusion, Equality and Diversity group, I wanted to ask, what involvement do you think schools should have in reducing prejudice? I think schools play an absolutely central role in in reducing um, prejudice, and I was very clear at the beginning of my talk that you students are going to change the world. Um, young people have a tremendously important role to play um, in, in this and so I think um, in, in schools there's, there's such exciting opportunity because it's a an environment where close friendships are often built, friendships that can last a lifetime, where contact between different groups can, can, can occur and should occur and, and that happens on a regular basis and you can become ambassadors for change as well, because uh, one of the other observations I made during my session was that, well, the content of, say, stereotypes comes from those conversations that take place at home, uh, in informal environments. You're going to be part, you are part of those sorts of conversations. And so hopefully uh, uh, in, in schools, um, well, well, pupils at schools will, will then take away their, 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 le- their own learnings and disseminate that to others, and to share their knowledge with others, and I think that's that's really key to change. The other thing that I would say is that um, being at school is often a very important part of a pupil's identity, because frankly, you spend most of, much of your time at school, right? At school, and also with your with your family and friends outside of the school environment. So it seems obvious that that should be a context in which um, we try and reduce prejudice and discrimination. So in short, in, in, in answer to your question, it's such an important uh, context. But it's not the only one. I think that, that it, it would be no good if, if we only had anti-discrimination uh, policies uh, and, and EDI policies at school, but not, say, in the workplace. So it has to it has to almost begin within the school environment, but then it needs to continue um in other environments as well, because together we're going to be, we'll create solutions. Not if it's just a single part of our society. Um, I've got a follow up question, which is: Would you say that everyone has implicit prejudices? And if so, is there a way that everyone can try to eradicate them? I believe that implicit bias is very, very common indeed. I don't have the evidence to say that everybody has it. But it is extremely common and I think there is a difference between implicit bias and say uh, prejudice in the sense that implicit bias that's an individual who has some some degree of implicit bias may actually not be, be really horrified to to be accused of say racism or sexism or any other type of prejudice it's not an actively held belief but rather it's a bias that's been acquired because of growing up and living within a society where some ideas are sort of taken for granted. And um, there are actually tests, psychological tests, such as the implicit association test, that I would highly recommend that listeners um, complete because it's, it's free of charge, you can, you can complete it online. And that will give you a score of your implicit bias. Now the goal of, having, of discovering that you've got some implicit bias is not to make you feel bad about yourself because knowledge is power, awareness is key. The more you're aware of your implicit biases, the more you will question them and you'll question your own thought process, your own behavior in particular contexts. So if, for example, you see a man and you have an assumption that that man has a wife or a girlfriend when actually he may well not be heterosexual, And, you know, that that is an opportunity for you to think, actually, I'm not going to make an assumption that that man is heterosexual and that he has a girlfriend or a wife. I'm going to ask him about his partner, for instance. Do you see what I mean? So by being aware of your implicit biases, um, and the the example I've given you is a very common one, we have the ability to change our behavior and to reduce them. But I do think it's very common.
1: Professor Jasper, thank you so much for your time and for coming here and sharing your thoughts with us all today. Um, One of the things that we're trying to do at the Purse is to become comfortable with difference and to recognise the pluralism in cognitive and emotional diversity in our community and to celebrate that as a difference. But any culture shift requires courage and courage inherently entails a willingness to be vulnerable and I wondered if you had a message for our students um, because they're working quite hard on some of these issues to encourage them to carry on with this work.
0: I think it's uh, absolutely key that uh, we carry on um, with this agenda and that we uh, have the courage to have what, what are often very difficult conversations because I think there are some areas that Uh, people find very difficult to discuss um, and uh, sometimes they they feel that what they may be misunderstood by other people they therefore would rather avoid the topic altogether and that's not going to help uh, with uh, us promoting equality, diversity and um, and inclusion so we must have those conversations. What I would say is that we should all be uh, respectful of difference and not make assumptions, or try and reduce the assumptions that we have, to have that self-awareness to, about our own implicit bias, because that's going to be really key. It's, it's remarkable how quickly a conversation can be shut down if a person feels misunderstood, discriminated. So I think being aware of our own implicit biases, we're able to put people at ease more and have those conversations that are so necessary.
1: Thank you so much.